from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I believe the term was uh, pre-termination suspension. Mitchell sent 205 emails from his work account, but only one was work-related. You know, harassing in nature, like wildly inappropriate for work. Quite a bit of um, emails that were very sexual in nature to subordinates, to other employees. And he spoke to St. Louis on the air this week about Mitchell and the alleged harassment. This is one example of others. Uh, It speaks to now, um, we don't have zero tolerance when it comes to harassment. This sort of lackadaisical attitude by some um, people who should have, you know, rooted people like Mitchell out. We should note that we did reach out to St. Louis County government with questions about Mitchell and this report that you've just described. And in an email, a spokesman confirmed. I'm Rod Milam. In recent years, the St. Louis County Jail has been rocked by a series of scandals, inmate deaths, and high-profile resignations. St. Louis on the Air producer Danny Wisentowski sat down with Ryan Kroll to discuss his findings. His reporting revealed that the jail has been dealing with another problem, and that problem's name is Aaron Mitchell. Danny started the conversation by asking Ryan about what he found in the pages of an official jail investigation into Mitchell's behavior. So it's showed a pattern of um, sexual harassment uh, as well as bullying, um, both in terms of Mitchell's, I guess you could say, interpersonal reaction with, uh, I'm sorry, interaction with um, employees, as well as sort of some harassment uh, via email and other kinds of uh, electronic communication like that. Now, this report itself, where did that come from? Sure. So it was... um, Commissioned, I assume, I should say it was authored seemingly by the guy who's in charge of the uh, jail, Scott Anders. His name was at the end of it. Um, It was written in the form of a letter to Mitchell from Anders, essentially laying out um, why he was being put on, I believe the term was uh, pre-termination suspension. So why he was being fired, in other words. Um, But even though it was sort of ostensibly authored by Anders, you could tell just from the information in it, uh, as well as some uh, sort of Microsoft Word comments on the side, that there had been a number of people involved in collecting this and um, uh, putting it together, typing it up, investigating it. Now, Ryan, j- just to clarify, you referenced the correspondence within this report. That was from Anders to Mitchell. Explain. Do I have that correct? Okay, yeah, so it began with a salutation to Aaron Mitchell, and then it basically just proceeded to explain sort of in an expository fashion, uh, here is why you're being put on pre-termination suspension. And then it outlined basically what, what you might say were like the allegations against him, uh, and then why those things were being alleged, because this individual had said that. Um, And then with the sort of electronic communication, it was because here are the emails where you, you know, um, sexually harassed this person or where there was an improper use of email here, there, and and that kind of thing. It was basically just 
lining the case against him. Right. Now, we should note that we did reach out to St. Louis County government with questions about Mitchell and this report that you've just described, and that is really central to your uh, investigation in the Riverfront Times. And in an email, a spokesman confirmed uh, that Mitchell was fired in February of this year, and that Scott and that Director Scott Anders initiated that investigation in the first week of that job when three employees approached Anders about Mitchell and their claims of harassment against him. Now, Ryan, Mitchell worked in the jail since 2001. What do we know about his time there, and were there other reports of abuse? Yeah, there was early uh, in his tenure, there was um, an allegation that he had um, brought a male inmate into a female inmate's cell and I don't know, allowed or coerced, I don't know the exact details, but anyway, this, the male had sex with the female. Um, and then uh, the story goes that um, the female inmate and then was coerced into having sex with Mitchell. That was, way, that was about 20 years ago. And my understanding is he was suspended for that, um, but was then returned to his job shortly thereafter. Uh, yeah, and then I talked to other individuals um, since doing the story, actually. A woman talked about um, Mitchell exposing himself to her. I think it was in 2016, and um, I don't um, – yeah, that's about all I got. Sure, sure. And you, know, as you mentioned, you've spoken with you know, multiple women who've described working with Mitchell and what this was like. But as, as you just stated, you know, there was these reports early in his tenure, in the early 2000s, and yet he sticks around for more than 20 years. What are things like working around with this guy? What, what have you heard from people who had to, to, to be around him? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the bigger picture here is really just not maybe so much Mitchell, but this idea that there was this group of individuals at the jail who were sort of enabling and, and protecting him. Um, so, yeah, in 2016, for certain, and I believe it was in 2019 as well, there were, you know, female CEOs who I've talked to who said that they did talk, they did sort of blow the whistle, raise red flags about Mitchell um, in those, you know, years uh, very soon after he harassed them, um, but that ultimately nothing came of it. Wow. Now, Ryan, you're not the only one who's been asking questions about this jail and its problems. Now, in May, Reverend Philip Duvall resigned his position as chairman of the St. Louis County Justice Services Advisory Board. Now, that board was formed in 2019 in response to the controversies at the jail. Duvall is a civil rights activist and longtime watchdog of, watchdog of the jail operations. Now, he resigned in May protesting the lack of needed reforms, and he spoke to St. Louis on the air this week about Mitchell and the alleged harassment. This is one example of others. Uh, It speaks to now um, we don't have zero tolerance when it comes to harassment. It speaks to um, someone um, that was preying on their subordinates. It speaks to the lengthy history, and it speaks to a total disrespect of fellow co-workers. Now, here becomes the question. How in the world does that behavior last as long as it does and nobody in administration was aware of it and didn't do anything about it? Duval also said that the case raises concerns for staff members who want to report harassment in the jail period, and Duval said he's worried that no one in St. Louis County is really listening. 
There is no whistleblower protection in St. Louis County. Um, there is no one that these persons, and it's not all females. Sometimes it's males, too, based on the harassment. They have nowhere to turn to. And another department that I look at with the John Desai is the personnel department. Surely these behaviors have been reported. You take, for example, Mr. Mitchell. At some point, he had been terminated and then got his job back. But then there should have been a record of what forced him out in the first place. And then to hear that he came back and started 10 years more of it speaks to them no accountability, no transparency. That was Reverend Philip Duvall, former chairman of the St. Louis County Justice Services Advisory Board. Now, I should note that in the St. Louis County statement provided by a spokesperson in response to questions about this story, uh, the spokesperson did claim that Jail Director Scott Anders has instituted some reforms in response to situations like this. Uh, this, The statement uh, claims that steps have been taken to ensure this type of behavior does not happen again. That includes enforcing policies, having supervisors sign no-tolerance policies to demonstrate that they read it, that they, that they read it and understood it, and will enforce it, and that there's new training for officers and additional training for supervisors. Ryan, does that sound like enough to confront this situation? I really don't have a good answer uh, for that. That that is a really good question. Um, I mean, I, I guess the one thing I can say is that basically everyone I've talked to. Um, folks who are generally speaking, I guess you would say antagonists of the jail administration uh, included, everyone basically has pretty good things to say about Scott Anders, that that he's a true believer uh, in reform uh, and is in many ways has a tough job ahead because there are so many sort of entrenched interests and folks who might not want to see that reform. But um, if if Anders, you know, I, I think he's relatively early in his tenure uh, running the jail. I think for at least for now, folks who are interested in this sort of thing can probably give him the uh, the benefit of the doubt. Right. Now, right. I wanted to return to part of your investigation of Mitchell. And as you said, you know, what really stood out is he was able to continue this behavior for many years and seemingly was protected in this behavior, even when it rose to the point of, of being kind of crazy. Um, and one of the details that you have in this report involves Mitchell's use of email. Now, the investigation mentioned that on one day uh, at work, Mitchell sent 205 emails from his work account, but only one was work-related. What else did you uncover about his work as a jail supervisor? Yeah, so he had a lot of relationships with individuals. Um, I mean, I guess the one thing I to clarify on that, that's what the report said, and that is true. Uh, a lot of his emails were, you know, harassing in nature, like wildly inappropriate for work. But a lot of the stuff that was flagged was stuff that was not work-related, was improper use of email um, by a jail employee on jail time, but was it sexual harassment? So that's just important to to lay that out there. But yeah, there was also um, other sort of um, infractions via email. So there was improper of collection, I'm sorry, improper collecting of information about inmates from individuals who worked for the court system um, through email. Uh, There was a lot of just personal stuff. And then, yeah, sort of very um, 
you know, quite a bit of um, emails that were very sexual in nature to subordinates, to other employees. Uh, and that's maybe especially important because, um, I mean, if that's what the email says, it's pretty hard to argue with that, that record. It's just kind of is what it is. Now, Ryan, this, this jail has been the subject of a lot of concern. We're talking about inmate deaths and transparency. And you know, this has been a, a fairly steady series of, of incidents for years. And yet during this time, this jail supervisor is spending his time harassing women digitally, uh, you know, through his uh, through email, uh, physically, like, you know, groping these women, as, as they told you. Do we understand how this impacted the operations of the jail? What what wasn't he doing while he was busy harassing women? That's a good question. I mean, we can sort of look at some broad um, trends in the jail and that, you know, there's been no shortage of issues with the St. Louis County Jail. And I guess maybe to sort of zoom out just a little bit, but I think in a way that still answers your question, uh, you know, before COVID, during COVID, and even now as we're kind of exiting COVID, I, turnover at the jail, I haven't looked at the recent numbers, but for a while there, it was just extraordinary, where it was really hard for them to keep people. And, you know, that makes um, administering a, a a uh, correctional facility, or in this case, a detention facility, very, very difficult. So you start to look at kind of what was going on with Mitchell, what was going on with other people, the sort of lackadaisical attitude by some um, people who should have, you know, rooted people like Mitchell out. You look at all that and you sort of start to see why they may have had such a turnover, why it was so hard to keep people in this job. So I think, um, you know, turnover is probably the one of the big reasons why you saw so many problems you did at the St. Louis County Jail. And then you sort of ask, why was there so much turnover? You look at people like Mitchell, and it kind of all starts to, to add up. Right. And, you know, lastly, you know, as you mentioned, zooming out the big picture that this jail is still trying to reform itself, to improve itself, to be transparent. There is an audit that is planned to be released later this month that has been long awaited in St. Louis County. What are you looking for in that audit? And, and what are the bigger questions about this jail's operations that you're still trying to answer? Yeah, about that audit, um, I guess one of the things I – well, first of all, I would just be very curious to see what it says. I would also be very curious about the methodology of uh, how they collected information for that audit. I say that in particular because I think it was in September 2020 – there was an audit that uh, Jennifer Joyce, who I believe used to have Kim Gardner's current job. The former circuit attorney of yeah, St. Louis City. Yeah, thank you. She worked on an audit uh, at the behest, I believe, of Sam Page. And in a nutshell, it basically turned up none of this stuff that has since come to light. Wow. And I think that had a lot to do with folks on the ground level, you know, COs, entry-level positions, not feeling comfortable um, contributing to that audit to sort of speak truth um, to the people collecting that information. So I'd be really curious to know, you know, one, what this audit finds, and then two, um, if they went about collecting that information in a different way than they did, I guess that would have been about 18 months ago. Yeah, I mean, it'll be, like you say, really interesting to see, you know, what this new audit uncovers and if it really gets to these issues that you're finding in this report, uh, some really concerning things that you're sharing with us. Thank you so much for coming here today. Hey, Danny, thank you so much for uh, having me. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer.
St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.